you have a Bible or the Bible app on your phone, join me in the book of Haggai, right? It is in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai, all right? Now, quick question as you're finding that book, how many of you have ever, other than the fact that you know it's a book in the Bible, have ever heard anything, any kind of teaching or anything from this, this book? Okay, a few, a few of us. All right, I can honestly say I've never heard any teaching or sermon or anything from this little little prophet. Um, and so I, as I've been studying it and reading it, I'm, I'm genuinely excited for us to explore uh, this, this little book together. And I liken Haggai, all right, to Jack-Jack from The Incredibles, all right? If you are familiar with those movies... You understand that Jack-Jack is the youngest, right? He's the baby of the family, and he's the smallest. Yet, especially if you've seen the second movie, spoiler alert, you come to find out that little baby Jack-Jack is packed full of superpowers. And I think Haggai is like that. He's small, right? This little book is small, but it is packed full of powerful truth. And, and, and I, I think it's important for us to understand that although it might be just two chapters long, there is so much truth in Haggai and his story. And, and my heart is that as we hear God through the prophet, that you come away with a fuller understanding of the relentless, pursuing, reckless love of God for you. Because that's, that's here in, in this little book. I, we're going to see God's heart to pursue his people and to be with his people. And, and I hope as we come away from this, this, this study that you also come away with a fuller love for Jesus and who he is. And, and also that we come away and you come away with um, just being better equipped to follow Jesus and to live his mission. Because I think all of that is here in 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 this little story. Um, now, what should you expect when you read this little book? You should expect to consider your ways. If you go to chapter 1 and look at verse 5, God speaks through the prophet and he says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now go down to verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your your ways. If you go to chapter 2, verse 15, you hear him say, Now then, consider from this day onward. Verse 18, God's speaking through the prophet, and he says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. So as you read through this little, small prophet, what should you expect? You should expect to come away considering your ways. Now, what do we mean by that? Literally, it means to think about the path that your heart is on. To think about the direction that your life is headed in. To think about the choices you're making. And when he says, consider your ways, what he's wanting to do, what God is wanting us to do as his people, is to think, are his priorities my priorities? Am I pursuing 
what his mission is or I'm pursuing more what my mission is. And so as you read this story, you should come away with this understanding of the, the need to pause and to think about the direction your life is headed. And if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, how many of you have ever ridden like some kind of roller coaster, okay? One of the things you have to do typically is you ride a roller coaster is you have to wait in line, right? You have to stand in line and you wind your way around, hope, you know, waiting for you to get to the front so you can get in the car and ride the roller coaster. Well, for those of us that, that have done that, typically throughout the line, there's these signs, and it's usually the same sign. And it says, do not ride if, typically, right? It, it says, do not ride this if you're pregnant, right, or if you have heart issues. And they post that sign at several different points through the line. And, and the purpose of that sign is to get you to stop and consider, to get you to think, should I continue in the direction that I'm headed? And that's what this little book is about. It's to get us to consider, as God's people, the direction we're heading in. Now, I understand that this this book is unfamiliar to most everyone in the room. It was very unfamiliar to me up until a few weeks ago. I didn't know really anything about Haggai and his story. And so this morning, I, I, I wanted to just kind of lay a foundation, give a, an introduction to this book by helping us understand the historical situation surrounding Haggai and his story, look at a key event, key themes, key people, and then wrap up by just giving us three reasons for why we should explore this little book. And I think these things are important because it's like seeing a movie go from black and white to color. I think these, help, these things help us see the, the color, the beautiful color that comes from this man and his story. And so here's a little bit of the historical situation or surrounding Haggai. Now, Haggai wrote his book around 520 B.C., or the events in this book happened in 520 B.C. Now, to understand the situation that he's in, we need to actually back up about 60, 70 years to 586 B.C. Now, in 586 B.C., you had a king named Nebuchadnezzar. If you've ever heard of Daniel in the Bible, Daniel, his events happened during King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, he was the king of Babylon. Now, as the king, he invaded Jerusalem, God's city. So he comes into Jerusalem. He destroys God's city, Jerusalem, destroys God's temple. Everything is in ruins. It's, it's, it's in shambles. And so what he then does is he takes God's people and he takes them as slaves back to Babylon, where they are now slaves for 70 years. Roughly 70 years. Now, in 539 B.C., you have a king named King Cyrus. He's the king of Persia. Like what kings do, they want to expand their territory. So King Cyrus comes in. He defeats Babylon. Now he's the new king, and he inherits these Jews, God's people, as slaves. Now, what's interesting is God stirs the heart of King Cyrus. I love it. And if you want some backstory for Haggai, read Ezra, the book of Ezra. It's the backstory. All right, uh, of Haggai. So in Ezra chapter 1, it says, God stirs the heart of King Cyrus. And what he stirs this man to do is to send God's people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And so King Cyrus makes this proclamation and he says, God has stirred my heart and I am now wanting to send back to their homeland 
God's people to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild God's temple that was destroyed. So a year later in 538 BC, we see this caravan of God's people return home, like LeBron's homecoming, right? If you're a Cleveland Cavs fan, this is God's people's homecoming, right? They're coming home, right? They're, go- they're coming home to Jerusalem. But keep in mind that this is they're not coming home to a, a city that's been built and it's looking good. It's in shambles still. It's like, I'm thinking like a ghost town. There's a ton of rebuilding they have to do. This is home. Can you imagine coming home? And, and yes, you're thrilled that you're free, that you're no longer a slave and in captivity, but you're coming home to something that meant so much to you, but someone destroyed. And so they, they, they come back home to Jerusalem, and they start this rebuilding project. But then opposition happens. They get distracted. And it gets hard. And so they stop. God told them to go back and rebuild the temple. And because it got hard, and because the, there was opposition, they stopped. So now that rebuilding project stopped for about 18 years. People are still in the city. They're starting to rebuild a little bit, settle, settle back in. But there's no rebuilding of the temple for about 18 years. While this is happening in 522 B.C., King Darius now is the new ruler of Persia. All right, King Cyrus out, King Darius in. 520 BC is when Haggai begins his ministry and God speaks through him. And so this is a story that's filled with slavery, captivity, longing to be home, not being home, God telling his people, you need to go back and rebuild the temple. They get started on it, get distracted, enemy enemies come, opposition comes, and and they stop the rebuilding project. And so now God is going to speak to his people through Haggai, and and he's going to challenge his people, and he's going to challenge them to refocus, refocus, and consider their ways, and to think about their priorities, and to think about the direction that their life is headed in. And so if you look at Haggai chapter 1, Verse 1 and 2, he says this, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. And this little book, the events of this book, really happen over a period of four to five months. So, it's, so you'll see that as you read in this month, on this day. So about four to five months is when the events of, of Haggai take place. And, and the key event that happens in this book is the rebuilding of God's temple. And you see that in verses four and five of chapter one. Jesus, or, or, or the, the Lord says this, he says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? That'll preach. That's going to preach. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go down to verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So you can see right out of the gate, God is saying, listen, I've told you... to do something. I've asked you to do this, and there's a reason for it, and you stopped. And you need to rebuild the temple. You need to rebuild the house. 
And eight times throughout this little short book, God references the temple. This is about rebuilding God's temple. Now, why, as I was reading this, why is that such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that God's people have a temple at this period, in this period of time? Why is this so important? Couple reasons. There's, there's more, I'm sure, but let me just give you a couple. One is because for God's Old Testament people, the temple was the place where God often displayed his presence to his people. When you read the Old Testament, you see God made his presence known on the mountaintop. You see God making his presence known in a burning bush to Moses. You see God making his presence known in a pillar of fire as he would lead his people out from slavery at night and then a cloud by day. And then God would make his presence known in a tabernacle, like a tent kind of thing. And God, God, that's where God would make his presence known. And then they built a temple. And, and David really, King David, had a heart to build God a house, a physical structure. And then God said, no, David, I want you to do it. I want your son Solomon to do it. And so Solomon built this beautiful structure, building this physical temple. It's gorgeous. Well, that's what got destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. So it's in ruins. And so God says, I want you to rebuild this temple. Why? Well, because to God's Old Testament people, the temple, just the physical temple, reminded them that God is with us. God is with us. He's with, and so imagine, no temple, what's that? What are you feeling? For 70 years, there's been no temple. They're not in the city, they're not in, there's no temple. For 70 years, they're thinking, God's not with us. And they went into captivity because of their disobedience. And so God's saying, no, I want you to build a temple because the temple, it's where I usually display my presence to you, and I want you to know that I'm with you. I love that about God. But also the temple was the place for sacrifice of sin. It was the place where the high priest would go in and he would take the blood of an animal and he would place that blood on the altar in the Holy of Holies and God would look at that blood as the covering for the sins of his people. Well, if there has been no temple, what, what's that say? There's been no sacrifice for sins. And so for 70 years, God's people have been absent from his presence and absent from the forgiveness of God's sins because there's been no sacrifice for sin. And, and I love what this, this author said. His name is Michael Stead. He is um, from Australia. Australia. He's the archbishop um, in South Sydney. And he says this about the book of Haggai and the fact that there was no temple. He says, not having the temple would say two things to God's people in the Old Testament. It says that God is not with us and you are still in your sins. He says this is not just the catastrophe of a building that's been knocked down, but the catastrophe of the absence of God. And I think there's something here for us. I I, I think there's something that says true captivity is being without the presence of God, without the forgiveness of God. That's true captivity. Paul said, without God, you're without hope. And so they're without hope. So when God says, I want you to rebuild the temple, what's that say about our God? What's that tell us about his heart? I love that. God's saying, no, I want you to rebuild the temple, not because I need a physical structure, but because I want you to see that my heart is with you. 
I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. I want that. And I want you to build the temple because I love you. I'm pursuing you, and I want to provide the sacrifice for sin. So this is more than just about a physical temple. This is about the heart of God. And us seeing a loving, pursuing, relentless love that God has for us and has for you to be with you and to forgive you and forgive me. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking like it reminded me of, of a mom with her first child. Right? And, and newborn and she and the mom and, and her husband, it's, they're going to just get a weekend away. Right? They need some time together. They just need a weekend away. And so they're leaving little baby with grandma and grandpa for the first time. And so husband, wife, mom, they, right, they, they leave. Every hour, mom is texting grandma. How's it going? Right? How's he doing? How's she doing? Right? Next day, how's things going? Okay? Everybody okay? Doing okay? Can't wait. We miss some. You know. And then you start talking. I really think we should go early. I think we should get home early. Right? I, I just can't. I can't. Something, I, I just think we need to. Are you good with that? Yes. All right. I, I just want to go back. I just can't rest. I can't think. I can't, you know, I can't enjoy our time if, I, if being away. I just, just can't. I think that's kind of like the heart of God. He just he loves to be with his people. He loves you, and he loves me, and he loves us. And so when he says, listen, I, I want you to rebuild the temple because I want you to see my heart is for you. My heart is with you. I want to be with and I want you to see me. I want, I want you to experience my presence, and I love you that much. Now, some key people in this book, as you read it, you'll see three key people. The first, an obvious one, is Haggai, right? He is the, the prophet, and a prophet was a spokesperson or the mouthpiece of God. He was typically the person that if God wanted to communicate a message to his people, he would do that in the Old Testament through a prophet, and then you see another individual. His name is Joshua. He's the high priest of Judah. And a high priest was the one who would represent the people to God. He would be the representative. He would be the one that would take the, the blood from the animal and he would offer it on the altar. He would offer the sacrifice. He was the mediator between God and man. And then here you have a man named Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Fun to say. Right? Zerubbabel. He's like the governor of Judah, like this king-like person. And, and what's interesting is Zerubbabel is an ancestor, or, or he is a descendant of King David. All right, And now God made a promise to King David, and he said, David, you will always have a king on your throne. Someone from your line will always be on the throne. Well, imagine, for 70 years they've been in captivity. They're thinking, where's the king? Is there a king? God promised. Where's the king? And so maybe God's people are questioning God's promises. We'll insert this man named Zerubbabel. And not only is he a descendant of King David, he's an ancestor of Jesus. He's in the kingly line, human line of Jesus. We know this from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. So this guy Zerubbabel is pretty important because through him you're going to see a link between King David and King Jesus. I, I'm so tempted to tell you what it is. I mean, 
there's so much here. It's jack-jack. I mean, just, I mean, just so much. It's so good. But I think what we see here with prophet, priest, and king, I really think what God is doing by having, is we see Jesus. We see Jesus the prophet. In fact, Luke chapter 7, when Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead, the people look at Jesus and say, among us is a great prophet. They said, a great prophet. And so I think even in this little small book, we see Haggai the prophet, which is to lead us to see Jesus, the, the fulfillment, the final prophet, who is the word. John talks about Jesus being the word, became flesh. Jesus is the final word. He is the word. And he's the prophet, the fulfillment of it, the final prophet to speak God's word to us in the flesh through his own person. And then in Joshua, the priest in Haggai, we see us being led to Jesus, the final high priest. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And so we see in Haggai, we see Jesus. We're led to him to see that he is the, the prophet, the fulfillment of the prophet. He's the final prophet. And then in Hebrews, we see Jesus as a high priest. Look at verse 11 first. It says, but when, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So when you read about Joshua, the high priest, and Haggai, you should see Jesus. You should be led to see Jesus, our, the final high priest, who offered the final sacrifice once for all for the forgiveness of all sin, yours and mine. And then when we read about Zerubbabel, you this king-like person, you should be led to see Jesus, our final king, with ultimate authority, ruler over his people. And if you go into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, you see this about Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 31 and 32. It says this, The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he says, And behold, verse 31 of Luke 1, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he, Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so I think in this little book of prophet, priest, and king, we're led to see Jesus. Our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so when you read this little book this week, look for Jesus. See him for who he is. Now, three reasons why I think it's important for us to explore this little book. The first reason is so that you can be better equipped to follow Jesus and live his mission in the everyday stuff of life. You go, how in the world do you know this? How in the world is this little book supposed to help me follow Jesus? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that word equipped means to furnish. If you've ever had to furnish an apartment or furnish a house, that's what he means there. And he's saying, well, what furnishes me? What equips me? All Scripture. God somehow wanted Haggai to be part of Scripture. And so somehow this little book is going to help equip you to follow Jesus and live his mission in the everyday stuff of life. Somehow as you read this little book and this story, you should come away with an understanding, okay, Jesus, how, what can I learn from this? How is this going to help me follow you more deeply and more closely and live for you and be more obedient to you? And so if you want to be better equipped to follow Jesus and live his mission, read Haggai. Read his story. It's scripture. And his story will help equip you for every good work. Second reason for exploring the book is to learn more of this Jesus we follow. Well, how do we know this? Go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus' own words. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 27. Jesus is walking with a couple disciples, and they're talking about the events that just took place, which was the crucifixion and the resurrection. And these two disciples are talking about this, and Jesus joins them, and look at what it says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus is using all the prophets, all the teachings of Moses, and he points out in each one of those, I think, where you see Jesus, where you see him, how it references him. And so somehow as you read this little book, this two-chapter book, you should learn more about this Jesus. We already talked a little bit about that, prophet, priest, king, but somehow you should come away with a fuller understanding of, of who Jesus is and his love for you. It's kind of like I was thinking about this, and if you remember the Where's Waldo books? You guys remember those? Okay, familiar with that, right? Every page is like a different picture. You're going to find the little Waldo guy, the little cartoon character Waldo. Well, when you read Scripture, everywhere you look at Scripture, you're looking for Jesus. The Bible is a story. It's a story of God's plan to rescue us from sin and bring us into relationship with himself. Jesus is the hero of the story. And so everywhere, every book, Genesis, Exodus, all Moses, the prophets, you should be looking for Jesus. And so somehow when you come to this little man's story, Haggai, you should be looking for Jesus because he's there. And so look for him. If you want to know more of him, read this little book. And third, to see God's heart for you, to see God's heart to pursue you, God's heart to be with you, God's heart to forgive you, God's heart in loving you. Because I think we see that in this little book. How do we know that? The book of Acts, chapter 20. The book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. The Apostle Paul is talking to some church leaders. And these church leaders are from the city of Ephesus. And in talking with them, in his conversation with them, he says this in verse 25 of Acts 20. 
He says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, what does that mean? The whole counsel of God is referring to God's plan from start to finish to redeem, to rescue us, and to bring us out of our brokenness and into relationship with him. And so Paul's saying, I didn't shrink back from telling you the whole story, start to finish, which would have included the prophet Haggai and his story. And so somehow in this little book, you should see God's heart for you, God's heart to be with his people, God's heart to forgive you, God's heart to love you. And so if you want to understand a fuller picture of God's desire for you, God's longing for you, God's heart to be with you, and God's heart to forgive you. Read this little book. And so the question is, what now? As we jump into this journey, what do you do now? Well, I think it's like winding through the line. Stop and consider your ways. Consider the direction your life is headed in. Consider the path that your heart is on. And so here's the challenge as the band comes. Is here's the challenge for us this week, or the, uh, just a next step that we can take as we begin looking into this, this story of Haggai. What, here's what I want, want to challenge us to do this week. I want you to read this little book every day this week. It's two chapters. It should not take you more than five minutes. So read it. Listen to it on your way to work. All right, get the audio Bible, version app, whatever it might be, and just listen to it. But I want you to listen to it through the lens of considering your ways. And as you read, as you hear and listen to the story of God through the prophet Haggai, I want you to think and ask yourself the question, is Jesus really first? What would it look like for Jesus to be first in my marriage, for Jesus to be first in, in my work, for Jesus to be first uh, in my parenting? What would, what would it look like for Jesus to have priority with my finances? What would it look like for Jesus to, to be first in the way I relate to people? And what would it look like for Jesus to be first in my singleness? What would it look Think through that lens. Consider your ways. But as you read, and you read about God's desire for his people to rebuild the temple, don't miss God's heart. Don't miss his heart. He wants that temple, not because he needs a physical structure. He wants that temple so that he can show his people, I'm with you. And so his people can look and be reminded, God is with us. And he wants that temple so that people can say, God forgives me. That's his heart, is to be with you and to forgive you. We have a God who pursues, who loves, and who forgives. And so as you think about that this morning, I just wanted you to bow your head and close your eyes and just take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me about considering my ways, the direction of my life? What's he saying to you? And then what's he saying to you about the heart of God? 
about the relentless, reckless, pursuing love of God. And in Jesus Christ, we have a prophet, we have priest, we have king. Lord Jesus, we love you. I'm so thankful that you love us and that we love you because you first loved us. I'm thankful that you long and love to be with your people and that you love to forgive your people. I'm thankful that in this little story we see your son Jesus and we're reminded of his sacrifice on the cross once for all for the forgiveness of sins. So God, may that alone lead us in praise. Lead us to praise. Lead us to bow at your feet, to worship you, and to be grateful and to be thankful. And God, as we sing, as we continue in worship, Lord, would you just speak to our hearts? And maybe you're here this morning before I close and we sing. Maybe you're here and you just need prayer. I'm going to ask Steve and Daniel to just kind of make their way to the back. And maybe the Spirit of God right now is just impressing upon you. You need prayer. And I just want to challenge you right now where you sit to just get up and make your way back to them and have them pray over you. Or maybe as we're singing, you need prayer. You just want to get some people together and pray. Maybe you want to come to the cross and just kneel and pray. But as we sing too, I just want us to sing with a grateful heart this morning. Grateful to our God who loves us, who forgives us, and is with us. God, we love you. Would you stand and let's sing together.